Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the 10th chapter of the Gospel according to Mark. Hear now the word of the Lord. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and came to them and said, Let the children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So I know it is only October, but I am already looking forward to the holidays. I don't know about you. Uh, And one of my favorite things to do during the Advent and Christmas season is to watch one of the movie versions of Charles Dickens' classic tale, A Christmas Carol. You know, the story of sour and stingy Ebenezer Scrooge, who is visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. Now, there's a scene in that movie that always touches my heart. I find it so poignant every time I see it. And it's probably not one you would think of right off the bat because it's not one of the scenes that has Tiny Tim in it. Actually, it's a scene that comes near the beginning of the movie when Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his deceased business partner, Jacob Marley. Now, Jacob Marley looks horrible even for a ghost. He looks really bad. So Ebenezer Scrooge is, of course, shocked to see him, but I think he's even more shocked by Marley's appearance. Do you all remember that Marley has this huge chain around him? Do you remember this? It's a huge, heavy chain wrapped all around his body, and it trails off behind him, and it clinks and clanks every single time he moves. So Scrooge says, in essence, what's up with the chain? And Marley says, well, I forged this chain in life of my own free will. I made it. I made it link by link and yard by yard. And Ebenezer, your chain was this long seven years ago. Well, Ebenezer shocked, of course, and he says, but Jacob, you were only a good man of business. And the ghost wails, business, business. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. And I've come to warn you, while you still have time to change your fate. Well, you remember the rest of the story. Ebenezer Scrooge finds out that Marley was right. Our business is one another. Our business is humankind. Our business is the common good. Ebenezer finds out that you cannot create an abundant life by investing in yourself in the accumulation of stuff, but that instead abundant life is found when we invest in the lives of others. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but periodically I receive letters from children's charities inviting me to invest in the lives of children by giving to their organization. 
And when you get those letters, I'm sure you're like me, you don't raise an eyebrow. You don't think nothing of that. That seems like a good thing, a pretty normal thing to do. But it's important to remember that in Jesus' day, you would never have heard anyone talk about children that way because in Jesus' day, children were non-people who were just basically ignored. Oh, they'd be worth something someday when they grew up and could produce something like take over the family business and make money or maybe take care of their parents. But until then, they were just sort of treated with this benign neglect. So it was amazing, really, that Jesus saw children and he loved them just as they were. This was especially unusual because a man in that culture wouldn't have noticed children, and he was a bachelor too. And yet even though he had no children of his own, Jesus wasn't afraid of babies. He would pick children right up and embrace them and put them on his lap, and he would bless them. And as far as we know, he never asked their parents to take them to the nursery. Actually, when his disciples tried to play gatekeeper and keep children away from him, Jesus became indignant and scolded them, saying, Let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Friends, we really cannot overstate the significance of Jesus' words and attitude and actions about children because by talking about children this way and setting that example, Jesus transformed their status in society from non-persons to people of sacred worth. Jesus made it clear that children are worthy of love. They are beloved by God, not because they're going to grow up and produce something, but because they belong to God. They have a special place in God's, children, in God's kingdom, and they have a place in the church. And so early, Jesus identified for us Christ's body that children are important in the church, and we are called to invest in their lives because they are so beloved to God. So one of the first things that the early church did with respect to outreach was take care of children who had been abandoned by their families, either because their families couldn't care for them or because they just didn't want to. You see, in Roman society at that time, child abandonment was a common practice. A family would decide they just had too many mouths to feed, or they had a child that they just didn't want to take care of, and they would take that child and just put them down by the side of the road somewhere and walk away. <clears throat> now, of course, that's horrifying to us today. But Roman society was brutal in so many ways. Thanks be to God for the church, which early on saw the evils of child abandonment and had the courage to step up and do something about it. And friends, we're still called to do something about it as the church. Now, in today's world, there are laws on the books that prohibit the kind of child abandonment practiced by the Romans, but let's be honest... There are different kinds of child abandonment that are still practiced in our culture today. Today, in this country, there are precious children who are abandoned 
to the most underfunded and underperforming schools, to the most substandard medical care, to the most violent, crime-infested, drug-infested neighborhoods. And then we study these children, trying to understand why they don't seem to have any values or why they don't seem to graduate from high school or why they seem to keep having children while they are children themselves. Friends, today in this city we live in, in San Antonio, there are places that you and I think of as dangerous. Places that maybe you wouldn't visit after dark because you feel unsafe there. And in every single one of those places, every single one, there are precious children just trying to grow up. Children's Sabbath that we are observing today was first established by the Children's Defense Fund, an organization that seeks to raise people's consciousness about the plight of children in our society. So yes, today is a day when we as the church remember and celebrate the children among us. Today is a day that we remember that the children of this church are beloved by God, that we are called to invest in their lives. But friends, today is also about children who were not in this church. Today is also about children who will probably never be in a church. Today is also about children who have been born into families who are ill-equipped to care for them, who are being exposed early to crime and to drugs, children who have a very small chance of graduating from high school, but a very big chance of spending part of their lives in prison. These children, too, are the ones about whom Jesus said, let them come to me and forbid them not. For to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. There was a pastor named Ernest Fitzgerald who had a church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. <clears throat> and one evening, Reverend Fitzgerald was locking up the church. He came out of his office into the sanctuary, which was dark, and he was astonished to find there a two-year-old little boy who was pounding on the back of the big wooden doors of the church that led out onto the street, and he was crying at the top of his lungs. So the pastor ran and scooped up this little boy and opened the door out onto the sidewalk. Now what he was thinking was that this child had been with a parent, and the parent had stepped outside, and the big heavy door had closed, accidentally trapping the little boy inside. But when Reverend Fitzgerald opened the door, there was no one on the sidewalk. No one up and down the street as he looked. The only thing he saw in the darkness was a car speeding away. He just caught the taillights. No license plate or anything like that. So the pastor stepped back inside with the child and he stood there for a moment and thought, and that's when it dawned on him. 
The child was not accidentally left inside the church. The child had been abandoned in the church. So he went back to his office, and of course he called the police. And then he hung up, and he called two or three families in his congregation and told them about the child, and they said they would come and help as soon as they could. And before he knew it, that child had a brand new coat and a warm fuzzy blanket and a new stuffed animal and a warm dinner. Well, the authorities came and investigated, but they couldn't figure out who the child's parents were, and the little boy was too young to be able to tell them his last name. So they took him into protective custody. Later that night, all the TV stations in town broke into their regular programming to show a picture of this little boy and ask anyone who might know who he was to call the authorities. And then the next morning, on the front page of the newspaper, there was the little boy's picture again with an article about what had happened at the church the night before. And the headline above that story read, Someone trusted the church last night, and the church came through. Someone trusted the church last night, and the church came through. The church came through. Those words ring in my ears, friends. Do they in yours? The church came through. Others might turn away, but the church comes through. Because we know that all children are precious to God and we are called to invest in their lives. And friends, that is why this church feeds hungry children every month through our Hope Center. Do you know that? And that is why this church supports Project Transformation, which is a life-changing literacy program for children in at-risk schools. And that is why this church drills water wells in communities in Kenya so that children and their families can have a cool, clean drink of water. And that is why this church supports the Mercy House Orphanage in Piedras Negras, Mexico. And that is why... Just this fall, this church purchased and sent backpacks to migrant families through the Interfaith Welcome Coalition, backpacks that contain snacks and toys for children. And that is also why this church gives thousands of dollars every single year to United Methodist Health Initiatives for Children all over the globe. And there is so much more. You are so generous with your time, with your talents, with your resources, because you, church, understand that all children are precious to God, that we are called to invest in their lives, no matter where they are from, no matter what they look like, no matter what their circumstances, they can all sing, Jesus loves me. And it's true. Friends, I know that the culture says consume, but God says give. I know the culture says that the best way to create an abundant life is to invest in yourself and watch your investments, your 401k, your diversified stock portfolio, and your bank account. 
But God says, invest in others. Do you want to know abundant life? Really? Do you want to live a life of sacred meaning and purpose and real joy? Then church, come through. Come through for one another, for your neighbor. Come through for the children. For to such as these, says Jesus, belongs the kingdom of God. Will you pray with me? Most loving God, creator and maker of all things, we give you thanks for the blessing of our children. And Lord, we ask that you continue to inspire us by the power of your Holy Spirit to invest in their lives, knowing that they are precious to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I nearly made it. Let's see if we can get through the invitation to Christian discipleship, which this week is to examine your priorities and the investment that you are making in your life. Where is God calling you to invest your time, your talents, and your resources? Do you think God is calling you to invest in the lives of children? Friends, I also invite you as you leave this morning to pick up one of these orange leaves There is an abundant life tree in our atrium, and I urge you to write on one of these. Where God is calling you to invest your time, your talents, and your resources, put it on that tree as a reminder for you and as an inspiration for others. And finally, the invitation is made. If you'd like to join our church, I invite you to come forward as we sing our final hymn together. It's number 191. Most appropriately, it's Jesus Loves Me. Let's sing.